Good morning and welcome to Morning Cup of Wisdom Podcast. My name is Antoine Howard and the mission of this podcast is to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Listen, wisdom, truth, and sound doctrine in this day and age are neglected and negated, meaning they're not taken care of and not treated properly. Doesn't mean that no one's out there telling the truth. It means that the world is submitting to their own truth, their own ideologies, and their own doctrines. This podcast is built to put itching cream on your ears and to help you further your relationship with Jesus Christ. As always, you can support this podcast in three different ways. The first way is you can pray to God in heaven for me. I need your prayers. I need your help as much as possible. Number two, you can support this podcast by following us on social media or on the podcasting platforms. And heck, share an episode with your family. Share an episode with your friends. Share an episode with somebody that you don't know. Just give it to them. Number three, you can donate. All of the information for all this stuff is going to be in the description. I am so excited that you join me today and I'm thanking you for everything that you do for this podcast. I do love you and I do appreciate you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you have allowed us to come together one more time. That this is not just a vain opportunity, but this is something that is meaningful. You gave us life, and even that more abundantly. I'm praying right now that you teach us self-control your way so that we may grow and become better people, not only for you, but for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, If you notice by the title, this is cup number two of one more will hurt. Now, you're probably asking cup number two, morning cup of wisdom. Cup one was last episode. Cup two is this episode. Get it because you brew coffee, put it into a cup. The cover art is a cup come on put it together all right but the last episode we talked about a lack of self-control we talk about our desires gone too far we mentioned david and Bathsheba. we mentioned jesus being the bread of life and then i asked you three questions what is your desire where does it come from And is it controlling you? And I ask you to think about your desires, but also pray about them to God that he may help you. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, go ahead and stop this one. Go to one more will hurt cup one. And then come back because this episode won't make sense without questioning yourself in the last one. Amen. So get your Bible out. If you're on the road, 
Don't get your Bible out. <laughs> and we're going to go back to the story of David and Bathsheba. Turn your Bible or tap your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We're going back to verse 1 and through verse 5. I'm reading in the NLT version because I'll flip and flop over the New King James Version. Because I don't read that well. I can, but you know, sometimes in the morning or the late afternoon, <laughs> my brain don't work. Let's go. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab in the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period, and then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, hey, I'm pregnant. God got my words. Here we see a man that is a godly man who is also a human with human desires. We know David as the psalmist. He wrote most of the psalms. We know David as the anointed musician. We know David as a warrior for God before he was even in the army. We know David as to be someone who loves God, but he's also human. And when you follow God, it doesn't mean that all your desires for the things that you used to just magically poof away. Sometimes it happens like that, you know, depending on your faith, but you also develop out of the lifestyle you once you once lived. Let's talk about this. In short, a lying spirit makes you lie, right? A drunk spirit makes you drink lots of alcohol a lustful spirit makes you what lust what does the holy spirit make you holy holiness is always going to be a process and not a poof you're holy
Now, when the Holy Spirit is in you, you holy, but then you process into that life. So holiness is always going to be a process. Part of walking with God. It's what I like to call the character development plan. Of God. Where he builds the fruits of the spirit. The Bible says in Galatians five, starting at the 16th verse through the 18th verse, I'm still reading in the NLT. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, a.k.a. what your flesh lusts after. The nature of sin or your sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is the opposite of what. The Holy Spirit wants the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit. You are not under obligation to the law of Moses now. If you don't know what the law of Moses is, it is the. It is the thing that God gave to Moses. It is a heap of decrees to help Israel stay on the right track. Of respecting each other and most of all, respecting and honoring God. Not following those laws, a.k.a. the word of God. Would be called sin. Living in sin is when you choose to walk a life with no regard to law. Bible calls it lawlessness. <laughs> then over time, we find out that the law couldn't keep us from the sin, but made us sin more. Romans 7 highlights the law kind of like a diagnosis than a gate keeping from us danger or from then a gate keeping us from danger. Lord, touch my words. Paul says in the seventh verse of Romans seven. Well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact. It was the law that showed me my sin I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you shall not covet then in Galatians it talks about what the sinful nature wants in the 19th verse of the same chapter Galatians 5 When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, also known as the flesh. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, 
sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I, this is still Paul, have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So before we go into the scripture to understand what the fruits of the spirit are, we have to highlight something that is critical. When Jesus is our savior, we get to be called children of God. And children of God being that, we get to be co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. So our belief in Christ is our security that we are co-heirs. But when you live the lifestyle opposite of the scriptures, opposite of what God says, opposite of what you should do according to the word of God, it becomes very clear that you can believe and still not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not be a slave to anything. So the Bible surely says that when we sin, we are a slave to it, just like we mentioned in the last episode. But Christ freed you from the shackles of sin, shame, death, hell, and the grave. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, because I should, should be dead and gone, sleeping in my grave. When you walk in the lifestyle that God has for you, this is what Paul highlights to the church of Galatia. After explaining the sinful nature that I just told you. In verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. In our topic today. Self-control. There is no law. Against these things. Today's fruit we are talking about, guess what? Self-control. Yeah. The King James Version highlights this as temperance, which is the quality of moderation or self-restraint. Beware, I'm about to be a nerd. Self-control is the same thing. We said in the last episode that lack of self-control is the inability to do, to restrain one's desires, emotions or impulses. Well, then, if self-control, if the lack of self-control is the inability to restrain, then self-control is the ability to restrain one's desires, emotions or impulses. Another another definition says that the ability to control oneself. 
in particular one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Help me, Holy Ghost. We see that David lacked self-control in this situation with Bathsheba. He seen something he wanted and he went after it with no regard to what would or could happen. And when I study topics like self-control or depression or love or anxiety, stuff like that, like I always like to define the terms like what is it? And then I ask God, what does he say about it? When I asked God what self-control was, he didn't tell me noun, the ability to be strength. No, he told me instructions and it threw me off a little bit. But I'm going to tell you, you might want to write this down somewhere. God told me that self-control is number one, knowing the line. Number two, acknowledging the line. And number three, not crossing the line. You're like the line, the line, like a boundary. Like, don't cross the line. This the line. Don't cross it. You know. And I said the same thing, too. I was like, huh? What do you mean? Then he explained, he said, knowing the line is. Knowing the desire and or knowing the boundary you want to pass. Let's take driving, for example. You have a desire to speed because you think that you'll get somewhere faster. You have a desire to run red lights and stop signs because you think you'll get there faster. The line is to disobey that traffic law. Let's make it real practical. Like, say you're driving down the road. Grandma is in front of you. And she moving kind of, kind of slow, even though she's going to speed limit. Your desire is to cut through the traffic on the left or the right, wherever, wherever it is on the road. And go around her so you can get to that clear passage up in front of her. So you do so that that's that was the line. The line is you have a desire to go around that girl. You do, you have a desire to do it. But you know you shouldn't because of the rules. That's the line. Right? Acknowledging the line is saying what will happen if I cross? So, we were continuing with this speeding thing, right? If you're speeding, you have more of a chance to hit someone. You have more of a chance to swerve out of control and lose complete ability to steer your car. When you're speeding, you're more susceptible to get a ticket. When you're speeding, you put more lives at risk in and outside of your car. When you run a red light, you run the risk of hitting someone. When you run... (laughs) Or stop sign, you run the risk of hitting a dog or a cat or a kid or something. You run the risk of hitting another person, another car. 
And most of all, you could lose your own life by disobeying these laws. Then here's the third thing. Don't cross the line. And I was like, wait a minute. He said, once you get through with number one and number two, you won't cross the line. I was like, whoa. So I thought about it. If I have a desire to go around someone by speeding, you know, I've sped before and I'm trying to be more um, stewardess of my car and the vehicles that I drive to my places. You know, that's why I was saying in other episodes, you know, you can donate so I can get a car. <laughs> but I'm being more smart with the cars. I've been driving the speed limit. Amen. Because of this message, I let this message work on me. I recorded it a few times and listened to it. And kept talking to myself. This works like legit. This works. One in two makes you not only acknowledge that there is a line. Hello. And number two makes you acknowledge. That there is a consequence passing that line. Here's what happens. When we don't do number one and number two, we have no self-control. If we knew the line and if we acknowledge the line, we wouldn't cross it. You know, I really thought about it and it made sense. The reason why we have lack in self-control is because we either don't know where the line is we don't know we know where the line is and we convince ourselves that there isn't a line or we know where the line is and we don't acknowledge the consequences of passing that line betterhelp.com goes on to explain about the lack of self-control they say it can result in an undesirable negative consequence like being arrested or losing a good friend. In David's case, his lack of self-control resulted in a pregnant woman, a dead man, in a rebuke from God, which sends his family in a downward spiral. But God supported the three-step self-control method with David's story but he highlighted it in a way where he just showed how David didn't do it let's break down that story again David stayed back from the war should have been at the war here's a side tip be where God tells you to be and maybe you won't get in trouble be where God wants you to be and maybe you won't be lacking anything. Be where God needs you to be and you won't have no extra issues. Amen. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Anywho, David was where he wasn't supposed to be at home. And because he was at home, he woke up from this nap, looked out over the precipice of his all the stuff of the kingdom and he saw this naked woman taking a bath got horny 
sent messengers to go see who she was, then sent those messengers back to go get her. He slept with her. Then she sent them a late text saying I'm pregnant. <sighs> David's desire was to have sex with Bathsheba. That was the desire. It's like, dang, that woman fine. And he got horny. Let's just be honest. He got horny. Then here's number two. David sends messengers to go see who she is. Right? He actually goes and finds out what the line is. She is a wife of a soldier. So she's a wife, first of all. Anybody who sleeps with someone who's already committed in marriage, it's called, say it with me, adultery. And adultery is a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Come on now. Stop sleeping with your neighbor's wife. Stop sleeping with that coworker. Stop sleeping with the church secretary. If this not your wife or it's not your husband, stop. And if they already married and you ain't, stop. There's still adultery. Almost felt like Michael Jordan for a second. Stop it. Get some help. No, like legit. Stop. But like it, David found out that she was a wife and then of Uriah. Wait a minute. Uriah's a soldier in the army that he is supposed to be fighting with right now. Like David is supposed to be with that army fighting with Uriah. But he at home sleeping with his wife. Huh? And I hear some judgment in the atmosphere. You say David was a godly man. He was. But he's also a human. And we cannot use our human um, nature as an excuse to not be godly. Oh, God, know my heart. God, 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 know. Apparently, David didn't. Apparently, we don't. Even David understood in his situation that he could not go on like this. David understood in his situation that he could not go on like this. Like, side note, he wrote Psalms 51. Created me a clean heart out of this situation. Like, you can't tell me, like, his heart isn't postured toward I need God. His heart is definitely postured toward that, but he still had the desire and he still had the line in front of him. Eliam, her father, was another soldier. So not only does David know the line, which is I'm horny, 
But number two, he knows that he's going to commit adultery. He knows that he would dishonor his soldiers. He would lose respect as a king. And then he going to get in trouble with God. Now, here's what happens. It's no mystery. David crosses the line because of his failure to acknowledge number one and number two. David's legitimately falling into sin because of his failure to acknowledge number one and number two. Then I asked the Lord, well, where does temptation come into play? And God said to me. Temptation is when the devil twists. Number two. And that just about blew my mind. Number two is when. The consequences of passing the line are acknowledged like you understand that what will happen when you cross this point is going to harm you the devil comes to twist number two and then god backed it up because this i just love how god works he pointed me to genesis 3 now if you're wondering how am i getting all these scriptural references and how God is pointing me here and there. It's not through Google research, dude. Like I've literally read the Bible and then God just welded up in me and just said, Hey, go to there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like when you read more of the Bible and engage more with God in your relationship through the word, hello, you're able to apply it more because it'll come out in situations. And you, I can't explain that more than that because the only way you can know about that is if you do it. So Genesis three. Highlights Adam and Eve falling into temptation. Pull up your Bible, go to Genesis 3, we're going through the first verse. I'm in the NLT version again, because you know I can't read. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. That the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman. God really say to you, you mustn't eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now I'm just adding stuff. Just play along. Then Eve said, you know, of course we can eat the fruit, you know, like God said we can eat of the fruits. The fruits and the trees and the stuff in the garden. That's what he said. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do what he said. Then he said, like, it's only that fruit in the middle. You see that tree right there? That's the tree we can't eat. It said, 
He said, like, if we eat it, we're going to die. If we even touch it, like, we, we can't even touch it or eat it, or we're going to die. So, God really said that? You know he's lying to you, right? You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as you eat the fruit. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And then the woman saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took of some of that fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. <laughs> and then he ate it as well. Now, if you were reading along with me, you know that I followed the story. Just to make it interesting, you know. Here's what happened. The desire was, there go that fruit. That's the fruit that God said we can't eat. It looked good, though. Let me get close to it. Remember when I was talking about the cookies? The last episode, if you didn't watch the last episode or listen to the last episode, go now. I looked at them cookies. I was like, man, them cookies look good. I need to get a few of them cookies, man. And then I got away. But then I went back. Then I got away. Then went back. I got away. Something that's significant about um, your desire is that you may be in proximity to it. That means close. And if you're close to it, that means that you're more susceptible to fall into it. Fall into indulging in it. Right? So... The tree is right there. That's her desire. And here comes the devil with twisting number two. Now, here's here is number two. God literally says in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, but the Lord God warned them. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree, every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God put the line right there. He said, okay, I know your desires right there. Here's what happens if you indulge in that desire. You're going to die. You can eat everything else though. This is a garden that's huge, you know. A lot of radius here. You can got anything you want in this garden. Bushes. Trees, you know, have at it. Make the best salad you want. One tree you can't eat. That one. You eat that one, you're going to die. All these other trees, you can eat it. That means that the tree right next to it, the tree of life, they could eat that too. But God says you can't eat that tree. So that's the line. But where the devil came in to twist it, he said, here's the lie. Here's the lie that he said. You won't die. OK, 
God clearly said you will die. That's the only thing he said will happen. And then the devil gives them new information. He said you will become like God knowing good and evil. That's true. Because later in the 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 chapter three. We find out that God says to themselves. Man has become like us. Knowing good and evil. Like. You mean to tell me. That the devil told the truth. No, no, no. The devil told a lie and perverted the truth. The devil's only a liar. I felt God on that one. The devil is only a liar. That means that he's going to lie to get you to do something dumb. So how do we even get to the devil tempting us? It's our desire. And we're sinful by nature. We're always going to have something that's of that desire. But when that desire has control of us, once again, go check out that last episode. It turns into something different. James 1 and 13 says. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So the temptation comes from our own desires. Our desires create the opportunity to be tempted. And the temptation is really when the enemy twists that that line to make you do it. You fall out of your own decision. But when the enemy comes to twist that line, that's when something different happens. Well, you ask me. How do we even fight temptation? Then, Let's take a look at Jesus. Let's take a look at Jesus. Because Jesus. Was tempted. In the same way. In Luke chapter four, we see that Jesus is in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, seeking the will of God. Mm, mm, mm. And I'll start at the third verse. The devil came to tempt him. And then this is what it says. The devil said to him, you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, pay attention to that. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up to. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said, 
I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And then Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must not worship, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Trust me, I'm going somewhere. Bear with me. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold up, hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus says. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Did you notice a pattern? The devil did a few things. Yes, he tempted him, but he started every temptation, almost everyone with one sentence or one phrase. If you are the son of God. The devil was challenging the identity of Jesus. How do I know this is because baptism identifies you. Something that is significant about baptism is once you go in that water and out of that water, you have just been identified as a child of God. How do I know? Jesus was baptized. He went in that water, out of that water, and the heavens opened and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was identified as a child of God, really the son of God. And here's the crazy thing. The next chapter, he was tempted on his identity. If you are the son of God, you can do this and nothing will happen. What the devil is saying is basically you can do all of this stuff and nothing bad will happen because you're the son of God. Right. You can do anything you want. You're the son of God because, you know, you could do anything. Right. So when we're getting tempted by the devil. The devil is really saying, if you are a child of God or if you say you follow God, here's the thing. You could do this and it'll be OK. Right. Because Jesus died for your sins. I mean, you can do anything you want. Right. You can do, just go anywhere you want and do anything you want and just be anything you want. Right. Because Jesus died for your sins. That means you can do anything you want. Right. No, you can't. You literally can't. Because the scriptures also say it's not good for me to do everything. Everything is not beneficial for me to do. So why then do I seek? Hello. Jesus literally gives the perfect example of how we can fight the devil in temptation. We can use the word of God. God help me. When you understand the scriptures 
And when you read and study enough of them, you could use them in your time of trouble. If you read the laws that apply to the sin that God highlights to you and when you're being tempted, God will bring up those scriptures and he will be able to use those as tools to help you to fight the enemy in temptation. How do I know this? Because in Ephesians, it highlights the armor of God. And one of the weapons, which is really the only weapon that we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible also talks about our weapons of this warfare. They're not carnal. That means that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but spirits. And in order to really fight, we got to be equipped with this Bible. We just learned a lot today. And I want to encourage you and say that you can do it. I know this may be a lot of information to help you to gain self-control and to be better about it. But trust me. It's easier than it may seem. Because all it takes is a little bit of faith and a step at a time. So let's recap of everything we learned in order to do better than you ever could on your own. You need to walk with the Holy Spirit. We talked about living in or walking with the Holy Spirit. Walking with God. So in order to really do that, you should start spending more personal time with him in the word. Where do I start? Read one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. Read one. And just start there and just read a chapter a day. I don't got time for a chapter. You got time to scroll on Facebook for 20 minutes. You got time for three chapters of the Bible. Spending time on praying. You got to pray to God. That's your communication to him. In adoring him, worshiping him. That's your love. But also you got to walk that word out. Now, I mean, that sounds like a lot of obligation, like, oh, my goodness. But when you do one, you'll do them all. I'm going to teach you something. Compromise leads to compromise. I meant to say this in the last episode, and I meant to say this earlier in this episode. Compromise leads to compromise. When you lower a standard in one area, another area is going to get lowered as well. Because it's transferable information. That means that something is going to change. That you don't want to change necessarily. But it's going to change because it's transferring. I'm applying what I know in one area to a new experience in another. Transfer. 
So when compromise leads to compromise, that means that if I lower my standard of eating unhealthy in one area, that means I'm going to lower my standard of spending time with God in that the other area. And then if I do that, it's going to transfer into my morals. It's going to transfer into my money. It's going to transfer into my relationships. It's going to transfer. And soon enough, my standards will be lowered everywhere because I haven't nipped it at the bud of where it started. That's why you need to pray to God. To prevent some of these things from happening. And you also need to be around people who love God and follow his word. Because bad company can corrupt good character. The next thing we learned is that self-control is not necessarily a a definition you find in a book. Well, in a dictionary. But self-control is really knowing your line, acknowledging that line and the consequences of passing it. And then don't cross the line. We learn that the devil twists the consequences. And that's what temptation really is. It's a twisting of the consequences. So every time you feel that something that you know is bad for you is being twisted into like, oh, it's probably not going to be that bad. That's temptation. And lastly, we can fight with the word of God, which is known as the sword of the spirit. And really, if you think about it, It's saying the line. Think about it. If Adam and Eve would have just told the serpent, God said we will die. If they just would have repeated that instead of considering maybe we won't. If they would have just told the serpent what they first heard, which was the word of God. They wouldn't have fell into temptation. Same thing with us. If we just know our lines, we won't get them trespassed or trespass anything else because we know the line. You know how many scoops it takes to get to the whole carton. So only get two. There's a step. If you know the line, you know, the line is I can't get more than two scoops of ice cream a day. Because if I get more than two, I'm eat the whole carton. You know the line. So in order to really apply this, you have to start with small steps. It's trust me, it's not as crazy as you think. And Holy Spirit, help me on this one. If you have a desire to speed. Start thinking about the consequences Of what could happen if you speed. And let that dictate what your actions are. If you have a desire to buy more things than your money could afford, start thinking about how these things you may not even need, but how it could set you back. Start thinking about the consequences to some of your actions. If I buy this. What will happen? 
Here's another thing you can do. You can ask the Holy Spirit, what are my desires that are controlling me? And can you help me get away from these desires? And when you ask God to help you get away from something, here's the here's the rule. When you want to get away from something, you have to go to something. Because if you don't have anywhere to go, you're going to go back. If you leave a relationship, you better have a relationship with God. And that's where you go. Because you leave a relationship, you can go right back to it because that relationship was your idol. With no God in it, it was your idol. That's who you depended on. That's who you called on. That's who you spent time with. And it's not that you can't. That relationship was an idol. So you better have a relationship to go to, which is God's. So when it comes to applying this word, take a small step. If it's as small as acknowledging when you're horny and being like, oh, wait, I'm horny. The Bible says flee. So I'm going to get out of here. That's a small step. It may be a big step to leave, but at least it's a step. So it's like knowing when you, if you know you, you know, you horny leave, go there, go home and pray. If you know you're about to get drunk, you know, you had one glass, you know, you're about to get drunk. Think, start thinking, start praying and ask for help for the Holy Spirit to give you an exit and get out of there. Spend time with God And God will create in you A clean heart And renew the right spirit in you And when you're earnest About praying to him About getting that clean heart He will help you with your habits He will make sure that you're taken care of He will never leave you Nor forsake you And what encourages me Is he's not going to walk out on you We, in terms, walk out on him. He can't leave. He didn't go nowhere. We walk out on him because of our decisions. But when you make a choice to go after God, he'll take care of you. If I never went after God, I would be dead and I wouldn't even be doing this right now. But I made a decision in my life that I had to fight and had to get out of the lifestyle that I was living because I was like, this ain't it. God kept me from a lot of things and he, he protected me in the midst of my sin. And when I made a choice to try to go back out there, no. Nah. It was a big no because I realized there was nothing out there for me anyway. Trust me, when you've been out there and you've been doing wild things or stuff that maybe isn't even wild to you but wild to others, 
once you have a taste of the love of God, you understand that none of the stuff that you were doing compares. I was tormented every day. I was led astray. I was depressed. Super anxious, super overthinking. I had so much going on. And then when God's love stepped into my life, he helped me get to a better space. I have applied this word. The significant of the significance of every part of the wisdom that I give you is that I'm going to tell you how I've applied this word. I've applied this word in the midst of sexual temptation, temptation. I've applied this word in the midst of gluttony temptation. I've applied this word in the midst of speeding temptations. I've applied this word in the midst of overspending temptation. I've applied this word in all this and it worked. It literally worked. As soon as I thought about the line and where it was and then what will happen if I cross it, it shut me down. It literally shut me down. It turned me off. It made me less hungry. It made me shut up my wallet. It may be it literally did that because I knew that if I were to indulge in it, something's bad going to happen. And I hate being set back. Because I can't move forward, I'm set back. And it was all because of the love of God in my life that I was able to understand this message. I wouldn't even got this message if I didn't have Jesus. So I'm presenting him to you. I have three questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you confess him as Lord? Yes or no? Do you believe in your heart that he is risen from the dead? Yes or no? Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? If you said yes to all three things, congratulations, you made the best decision of your life. And I'm praying that you continue to follow this podcast, that I may resource you and help you grow as best as you can. But the first recommendation you need to get in that word. And you need to pray. How do I pray? Let's pray together. Repeat after me. God. Thank you. For saving me. Thank you. For changing my life. I am free. Because of you. I have grace. Because of your love. Help me to become better. Help me to become wiser. And teach me all that you want me to know. And surround me with people. That will help me do the things that you need me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for tuning in to Morning Cup of Wisdom. I'm so glad that you joined us. There are always the three ways you can support praying, following, and donating. But until next time, I hope you have a great morning.